Thank you so much to Clifford and the team for leading us. Uh, just a quick correction. Um, the Christmas Day service is at 7.30 and 9. I've been told it was misprinted on you. So it's not me, it's the pa- paper. Um, so Christmas Day is 7.30 to 9. If you have your Bibles, please turn me to John chapter 1. Uh, we're carrying on the series that we started last week, looking at John's prologue. We looked at... Uh, verse 1 to 3 last week, and we're looking at the Christ behind Christmas, the Christ behind the Christmas story, and we saw last week the Word who creates, and we looked at four words about the Word. Uh, We saw that the Word is eternal, that from eternity He has been community, that He is divine, and that He is the creator of all things. Uh, And we saw how that affects our perception of God, the world, ourselves, and even of Christmas. This morning, However, we're looking at the next section in John's prologue, and we're looking at the, the light that saves, or the light who saves, particularly at verses 4 to 13, where that is the dominant theme in this section of the prologue. So let's read it together. I trust you have your Bibles with you, uh, and then we'll uh, try to unpack it a little bit. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Really so far in the reading of God's word may reform our lives to its truth. Let's pray together again. Heavenly Father, you say in your word that you are the fountain of life that, and that in your light we see light. And we pray that this morning as we consider your word, that you'd lead and guide us, that you'd enlighten our eyes through your Holy Spirit, that you'd illuminate these verses, and that you'd apply them to our hearts so that we would live lives that please you and honor you. Lives that has just been prayed that would shine the good news of Christ as living lights in this dark world. And so we pray that you help us, lead us, and guide us in Christ's name. Amen. There's an obvious truth that I think all of us know. Without light, there is no life. Without light, there is no light. Without light, there is no life, and we are left with nothing but darkness and death. And I mean that quite literally, right? Uh, In South Africa, we've survived without the lights. Because of ESCOM, we've had to get used to getting uh, candle, eating by candle lights, and we've had to stock up on light-saving bulbs and saving for generators. Yet, let me tell you, if ESCOM was in charge of the sun, there is no surviving. Without light, there is no life. 
Uh, scientists have speculated that life as we know it would come to an end if the sun was to evaporate and disappear. disappear. If there's no sun, there'd be no light, and just in a few years, everything would die. Without life, all plants die. Goodbye, vegetarians. <laughs> Without plants, all animals die. Goodbye, the rest of us. Within a year, the temperature of the earth will be, will be below 100 degrees. In a few years, the top layer of the ocean will be solid ice. And in a few years after that, we would be all frozen to death. Shouldn't be too hard to grasp that, right? Physically, without a light, there is no life. Without light, there is nothing for us but darkness and death. Well, according to the Bible, that fact holds true spiritually as well. In our passage, John introduces to us Jesus as the light. He is the life who is the light of men, and the implication is without him, there is no life. Without him, there is only darkness and death for us. Now, John, by the help of the Spirit here, is recounting something that Jesus himself taught in John 8, 12. He said, I am the light of the world. And the implication is, there is light and life in him, yet without him, you remain in the dark. And you have the frightful prospect of death apart from God. And realize this is the problem that our world faces. This is the problem that we face. Outside of Christ, this world is in the darkness of death because this world in its sin has turned away from the light. It has rejected the God of light. That's the problem that this world faces, and that's why the Bible often speaks of our salvation as deliverance from darkness. Consider what Paul says in Colossians 1.13. He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Or even when Jesus commissions Paul, he gives him this uh, commission in Acts 26.17. I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Did you get the picture? There's two realms. There's light and there's dark. In the dark, there is sin, wickedness, death, the power of Satan, guilt for sin, and separation, alienation from God. See, you see, darkness in the Bible is often referred to in the Bible for wickedness and impurity, immorality, evil. It's associated with suffering and enslavement and decay and death. And that's our world. And until we understand that, until we understand that of our own hearts, we won't understand the beauty of the gospel and we won't glory in the message of Christ, the Christ behind Christmas. In fact, in Isaiah 9, we are prepared for the birth of the Messiah. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it's described this way, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And that's the light we come and celebrate. Even in Luke's gospel, in Zechariah's prophecy, Luke 1, 7 
68 and 79, we're told this about the birth of Jesus. Because of God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, this world sits in darkness. You and I naturally sit in darkness. And the hope of the Christmas story is that Jesus is sent into this dark world, into the darkness to bring us to light, to give us life in Him, not frozen darkness spiritually, but life and life in Him. And so this morning, as we consider this particular passage, I want us to look at three things about our, from our passage about the light that are true about Christ as well. The first thing I want you to take note of is that the light overcomes. You see this in verse 4 to 5. In verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. As I mentioned last week, Jesus is called in John 5, 26, the, he's said to have life in himself. That is to say, the thing that makes God, God, his divine being, belongs to Christ. And because he has life in himself, he is able to give life. He is able to, to shine, therefore, as the light of hope to those who sit in the deep darkness of death. That's why John says that he is the light of of men that is as the possessor of life he is the hope of mankind he's the hope of those who wallow away in despair and darkness and this hope that the light offers is amplified in verse 5 the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it that i would, I would suggest you is an encouraging verse not only is Jesus the life-giving light, but the darkness stands no chance against him. Uh, the New English translation uh, translates that verse this way. Uh, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not mastered it. And the idea is this. Try as it may, the darkness doesn't stand a chance Try as it may, it cannot control or defeat or extinguish the light. And we know this, right? When you go into a dark room and you switch on the light, you don't see the dark trying to fight back. That would be quite weird. No, the light completely overcomes the darkness. And that's why this is such a beautiful picture of Christ. He's the true light which opposes and overcomes the darkness. And this should give you comfort as you wrestle with darkness in your own heart in this world. It should give you comfort that there is one who overcomes. In Isaiah 42, the Messiah is described as the light of the nations. And he's described this way in verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. See, here is hope. For those who are blind and misled by false teaching, false living, by those who are in bondage to their deeds of darkness, that is, their sin, by those who are under the shade of death, which is the wages of sin, for those in darkness, there is hope. There is life and liberty in Jesus. 
that's the first, use the first application I want to make from that. If this is true of Jesus, if Jesus is the light, then walk toward the light. Not the light at the end of the tunnel, hold off on that. But walk toward the light. I've realized in the last couple of weeks, pastorally, that there's a great need to see this truth. Uh, there are some people who are struggling. They're struggling with discouragement. They're struggling with trouble and sickness and health. Others are defeated by their addictions, whether it's alcohol or, or whatever addiction there is. In either case, they're under a weight of darkness. And if that's you, need to know that the light shines in the darkness. You need to know that there is one to whom you can come who doesn't leave you in your darkness. One who is able to overcome that struggle, that trouble. One who is able to give you hope in that despair. You need to look to the light who is able to overcome darkness. When the nation of Israel was discouraged by their own sin and discouraged by the coming judgment and the coming silence of God, and Malachi, Malachi is the last prophet before 300 years of silence from God. In Malachi, God gives this beautiful picture of hope. But for you who fear my name, he says, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go about leaping like calves from the stall. That verse is and was an encouragement to God's people because it promises that the darkness doesn't win. It promises that the light indeed does shine, even in the thick of your darkness, even in the thick of your troubles and your despair. There is light, there is healing, there is joy that God gives. And he gives it to Jesus, the light, the, the son of righteousness who, who heals us from the disease of our sin, that sin that enslaves us and who brings joy for the downcast. Joy for the disguised because there is light. There is one who overcomes. Now, Philip Henry, the, the father of Matthew Henry, was also a theologian, if you didn't know. He, he made an obvious observation, but a wonderful observation. He says that the, the sun has not light for itself, but for the world. That is to say, the sun rises and shines in the morning, not just for its own end and its own good, but for the end and the good of the world. See, the sun naturally gives its light of life to the world, and Henry's point is simply this. How much more so is this not true of Jesus? The son of righteousness who gives his light of light to those in darkness, not naturally, but willingly. He goes to where the dark is. He sees his people in despair, enslaved to sin, and he goes to be a light to those in the dark. He doesn't leave the world to wallow away in despair and bondage. No, the light that overcomes the world, verse 5 tells us, shines in the dark. And if you're here this morning, you haven't known this world and you're in darkness, you need to know that God even this morning is calling upon you to the light. Because the light shines in the darkness. He isn't unaware of your troubles and your difficulties. Now, there's an old hymn writer that I uh, discovered fairly recently. His name is Henry R. Trickett. Uh, I enjoy his hymns uh, because they're quite simple. They're 
simple for me, I understand them, and, but they're heartfelt. They're, they're, they're almost more like prayers than praise. And he wrote this uh, hymn on Jesus as the light, and he says this in the first stanza, light of the world, shine in my heart. Bid all the darkness from me depart. Lord, without thee, dark is my soul. Shine, son of glory, make me whole. If that's you this morning, you're struggling with whatever it is you're struggling with, and you know there's one who offers you wholeness, who offers you hope, one who is the son of glory because he's the light who overcomes darkness. So that's the first thing I want you to see, the character and light of, the character and nature of the light, which is to overcome. The second thing I want you to see this morning of the light is that the light attracts you see this in verse 6 to 8. Light not only overcomes the darkness, but light attracts it, it, it. When you're in the darkness, it is something that draws your attention to itself. If there was a man who was lost in a cave, you can imagine his relief when he sees that glimmer of light, that ray of light that, that offers hope, that attracts, that draws him. And we see this in our passage with the introduction of John the Baptist in verse 6 to 8. There it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, to be fair, this seems quite strange. Why does he move from the word of God in the first three verses and the light and the life to now speaking about John, about the nephew of Jesus? But if you think about it, it actually makes beautifully sense. If God sends his light to shine in the dark world, then it makes sense that God wants the world to know that there is light. It makes sense that he wants the world to come to the light to see it, to be attracted to it, to follow it. And so therefore we are told that John the Baptist is sent by God to bear witness of the light. You see that word witness is mentioned three times in verse 6 to 8. That's the emphasis. That's why John is mentioned. You see, John the Baptist is a classic example of us, what it looks like to be a witness of Christ. There are three things to learn from him. Firstly, to bear witness to the light is to speak about Jesus. That's what the word witness means. It means to provide information, to testify. And that's what John does in the course of his ministry. Even later, in verse 29 to 34, John testifies that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That he's the Messiah, anointed by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. And especially that he is the son of God. See, to bear witness to the light means to speak of the light. His person and his work. And I'm sad to say, you cannot bear witness to the light without words. You speak the good news. It is good news that needs to be declared. Secondly, to bear witness to the light is to not focus on ourselves John, we're told, is not the light. He's a witness to the light. Even in verse 19 to 28, John isn't focused on himself. Uh, he, he's focused on the one who comes after him. He even says, I am not the light. Rather, he, I'm, I'm not the Christ. He's merely one who prepares for the Christ. 
So see, John, in a sense, is the morning star that comes before the sunlight but disappears when the light comes, when the sun arises. See, he prepares for the light. He gives light to all men, calling them to the light. Thirdly, to bear witness to the light is to call people to faith. Uh, John's ministry wasn't just about giving information about Jesus. No, he was sent by God to call people to believe, to trust in this son, to follow after him. And you see this again in verse 35 to 42 where John's own disciples stopped following him and they followed Jesus. Now why am I belaboring this point? Why am I pointing out these three elements of bearing witness to you? Because guess what? You are called to bear witness. You are called to be light. You're called by Jesus in Acts 1.8 to bear witness to him in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. And therefore, you are meant to call and, and follow John here. John is set before you as an example. And therefore, dear Christian, learn from his example. Speak of Jesus. Do what Jesus says in Mark 16, 15, where he tells you, go into all the nations and proclaim the gospel. And don't focus on yourself. You're not a savior. You need a savior. No, one name has been given, Acts 4, 12 tells us. There's salvation, no one else. There's no other name in heaven given among men by which they may be saved. Don't focus on yourself. And thirdly, call others to faith in Christ. Jesus says this in John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Do you know any unbelievers, friends, family members who haven't believed? Jesus says they stand condemned. And so, therefore, you are called more urgently to bear witness, to proclaim all that you have seen and heard in the light of God. There's more to say, say on that. So my second point of application is this. If Jesus is the light, the light that attracts, then walk as the lights of the world. Not only are we called to be witnesses, but we are witnesses of the light, and that light ought to shine through us. We are, in a sense, meant to be attractive. Just like John, we need to recognize that we are not the actual light, the light of the world, yet by belonging to Jesus, by being filled with his spirit, we reflect and radiate him. Just as the moon reflects the sun, uh, the light of the sun, so to the Christian is meant to reflect Christ. And not just what we say, that's vitally important, but in how we live. A, a number of passages speak to this, let me refer you to them. Philippians 2, 14 to 15, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, your holiness is meant to reflect something of the light of Christ. You're meant to shine in your holiness. Or, or consider Matthew 5.14. You are light, the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket or on a stand, but on a stand, sorry, and give its light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, both holiness and good works go together. These are the means through which we shine. These are the means through which we radiate Christ. In fact, consider 1 Peter 2 that brings both of these things together. After God has called his people out of darkness into his marvelous light, they are given this exhortation. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak out against his evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, as exiles in this world, as those whose home is not this world, we walk as lights in this world. Lives that are truly attractive, lives that are marked by holy living and honorable living in good deeds. That's the call to us, dear believer. Dear Christian, this calling to bear witness to the light, this calling to walk as light should be seen with excitement. Think about it. You get to testify to the light of the world. You get to go into this dark world and speak of what you've seen. You get to show others what God has done. You get to radiate and glorify Christ to those without Christ. I often think we underestimate the, the high value that has. We underestimate what a high calling this is. As we enter into this festive season, as we spend times with, times with friends and family, perhaps unbelieving friends and family, let us shine as lights for Christ. Let us bear witness by what we say and how we behave to the light that is shone in our hearts to show us the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, the second stanza of Trickett's hymn, I think, also applies here. He says this, The light of, light of the world, how can it be? Men love the darkness rather than thee. Lord, they are blind, how can they know? Shine, sun of glory, and all thy love show. Dear friends, they will see God's love, they will see God's glory through you this festive season. And so let's make use of that opportunity. Lastly, let's look at the last thing I want you to see, that the light exposes, not only overcomes and attracts, but exposes. Another aspect of what it does is, is not only does it overcome this darkness and attract those in the dark, but it exposes what's in the dark. When you flip that switch in the dark room, it not only overcomes the darkness, but it reveals what's in the room, Right? We realize the same holds true for Jesus because when he comes into this world, he reveals the state of our hearts. He reveals the state of our world. Uh, you see this implied in verse 9. The true light, that is the real, genuine, lasting light, which gives light to everyone, 
was coming into the world. Now, uh, scholars debate what that means, but one implication of the text is this. The light shines on all and exposes the nature of all. In, In this case, the light shines in the world and it shows a divide. It shows a difference. On the one hand, there are those who believe. On the other hand, there are those who don't believe. You see, the first response is rejection. Verse 10 to 11, John speaks of those who reject the light, and this rejection speaks volume of how fallen man has loved its sin. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now consider that for a second. Consider that in context. Here is the word of God, the word who creates all things, who creates man in his image, who comes into his creatures, into his creation, and they reject him. They turn from him. And this is not just true of all mankind. This is particularly even true of Israel. He comes to them and they refuse him. Why? Why this rejection? Well, because we love the dark. That's why I say this darkness affects us. Every single one of us by nature loves the dark. John 3, 19, Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We see that in the world, don't we? We see men and women in love with their doctors, in love with themselves. The Creator comes to His creature. The Word enters into His world, and they don't love Him. They don't desire Him. They don't serve Him. They serve themselves. They love their sin. Do you see then how Jesus exposes mankind, how He exposes and reveals the, the deep depravity of our sin? He reveals, as Paul says in Romans, that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.18, he says of unbelievers, they were darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. See, all mankind is in rebellion with God. They've turned away from God. Our foolish hearts by nature are darkened. Uh, This is confirmed when Jesus comes in. He shows us the nature of our hearts. Our hearts by nature desire the darkness. But see, John makes makes mention of a second response, not just that of unbelief, but faith. You see in verse 12, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here we see the wonderful outcome of believing, of listening to the witness of the Son. If you believe upon him, if you trust him, if you follow him, you're given the right of a son. You become a child of God and all the privileges and the inheritance and the rights that come with that. In Colossians 1.12, Paul calls the believers to give thanks to the Father because he has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
and he's done this by delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's why even Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkened, but now you are in the light. Walk as children of light. Now you might ask, how, does we, how do we move from Romans 3 to this? If none is righteous, no, not one. If no one seeks after God, then how is it that some have believed? Well, the answer is they've believed upon Jesus. They've become children of God, not because of anything in them, but because of God's effectual and saving grace. Look particularly at verse 13. Look at this encouraging verse. He carries on, he says, These children of God were born of the, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, what John here is describing is the regenerating work of God, that he looks at dead sinners and he gives them life, a new heart, new desires. He, he makes them to be born again. And this is only the work of God. Which tells us, doesn't it, if it weren't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for His saving grace in your life, you would still be in darkness. See, the coming of the light exposes two things. On the one hand, it reveals to us the depth of our depravity, but on the other hand, it shows us the height of God's saving grace. That He looks at people like you and me, natural lovers of darkness, and decides to call you a child. Decides to give you the gift of faith that you'd know him. That you'd have an inheritance with the sons of light. The question though is, which of these two are you? Where are you? Have you responded by faith or unbelief? How have you responded to the light this morning? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him? Have you verified that faith by life of holiness and good works as he is in the light? Has that faith been substantiated by a life lived for him? Or have you rejected Christ? Have you turned away from him? Have you loved this world, loved your sin? Have you been indifferent and willfully ignorant of him? I was thinking, just as Christ exposed the darkness and reveals the state of mankind, so does Christmas. Christmas shows us the state of our heart. For some people, Christmas is about Christ. They celebrate the joy of Christ, the gift of his life, the gift of eternal life in him. But for others, they're indifferent to him. They don't care about the Christ of Christmas. They just care about the things. The indulgences, the gifts, the time with friends, the relaxation. See, Christmas shows us the state of art. Where is your heart this morning? What are you excited for this Christmas season? What gift are you celebrating? The light that's come into the darkness? If you're an unbeliever here who's been indifferent to Christ, even if you're a believer who's become indifferent because of worldliness, come again to the light. Walk in Him. That's the third application. If Jesus is the light, walk in the light. 
Uh, dear friends, dear believer, Jesus, as the light, calls you to himself even this morning. In John 12, 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as the light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. He doesn't want you to stay where you're at. He even says 10 verses earlier, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. And even consider John 8, 12 again. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Dear friends, have you owned this light? Have you life in this light? Have you believed upon him? Have you trusted in him? Know this, Jesus is a light in whom there is life. Outside of him you will only find death and darkness. And so come to him, believe upon him. Why wouldn't you? It's interesting, three of the four Gospels end with Jesus, all of them end with Jesus' crucifixion, but three of the four of them end with Jesus in darkness. In the last hour, just as Jesus is about to give his last breath, his last word, as he's about to die, we're told in the scriptures that he's in darkness, that darkness stretches over the land. I think that's significant. The light of the world entered into darkness. Why, so that you would not die in that darkness, that you would not die under the death of that darkness that you would come to the light, that you'd have life in him and liberty in him. And, and so will you not believe upon him? Will you not trust him? Will you not celebrate the reason for Christmas, the Christ behind Christmas? Will you not come to and walk in the light? As we celebrate Christmas, dear friends, as we are dazzled by the lights of the tree, as we go to those places, the zoo and all the dazzling lights, let us not forget the true light, the light that has come into this world, the light that exposes our dark world, our dark hearts, the light that attracts those hopelessly in the dark, and the light that joyfully overcomes the dark, giving light and healing and joy in his wings. Uh, the third and last stanza of Chicken's hymn is appropriate for us to close with. He says, Son of my soul, shine on, O shine, till all the world only divine. Thou art my light. Walk I in thee, living or dying, O shine thou on me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is indeed the Son of righteousness, that he is the light who is dawned from on high, and that he has come to give life and light, that he has come to save us from our sin. And we pray, dear Lord, that as we look to this light, as we remember all that he has done in this Christmas season, that our hearts would be overwhelmed that you would love us this much. That you'd send your son the radiance of your glory to the cross for us. To the dirt and the grime and the pain and the bloodiness of that dirty tree. So that we would have an escape from darkness, that we would have life even in death. 
and that we could be used of you as lights as we serve you in this world. And so we pray to you, Lord, help us to, to meditate on these truths, to delight in them. Even for those in our midst who are discouraged, who are overwhelmed by the darkness of this world, by the fallenness of this world, will you not shine and give joy and comfort? Will you not reveal the light of your Son to them so they would know you and know your blessing and know your peace? Help us in this we pray in Christ's name.